Support for Think Humanities is brought to you by Spalding University's Sina Jeter Naslin, Karen Mann Graduate School of Writing. Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 51 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman. The first African-American starting quarterback for the University of Kentucky, Derek Ramsey, served in two Republican administrations under Governor Ernie Fletcher and Matt Bevin. He had a stellar sports career as a player and athletic director and many other things that we'll talk about today. And he's now a first-time author with his co-writer, Dr. John Wong. The book, They Call Me Mr. Secretary, Through the Lens of a Winner. It's a pleasure to have Derek Ramsey in our podcast studio. Derek, welcome. Bill, thank you very much for having me. You um, have uh, written such a wonderful memoir of your entire life, which Mm -hmm. uh, you've still got a lot of living to do. I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) But I want to start at the beginning and just kind of take people through... uh, uh, a really a terrific read that you and uh, uh, John have put together. And I think, although that you've had so many accolades and honors and uh, so many different uh, vocations uh, throughout your life, from politics to uh, sports, because uh, you and I are both of a, of a certain age that we look back at our parents and and, and still pay respect and homage to what they taught us. And I think that shines through more than anything that I read in your book, that you loved your parents and respected them. And, and they were tough, but they raised you right, didn't they? they? They absolutely did. I sit here, Bill, because of my parents. Uh, my parents sacrificed way beyond what was actually called for. Uh, my parents worked two jobs until my youngest brother got to college, and my youngest brother is nine years younger than I. And so what I got to see was parents that not only said it, but they lived it. And uh, we believed in hard work. And so all my life I've been trying to get to that table, as my dad talked about. And that table was the, the, the table of life. That's right. You know, and every day when my dad would come home, we would have to wait, first of all, until my dad got home before we could have dinner. And so we would sit at the table, and there was always conversation. And he would tell us, and I remember in particular this time, he said, I don't want to hear anyone complaining about what you don't have and what opportunities aren't being afforded to you. He said, your job as young people is to get to the table. You either get to the table or don't complain about the scraps falling on the floor. Hmm. And so all my life, I have been trying to get to the table. And once I got to the table, I then figured out where the power was at that table. Tell me about growing up in Hastings, Florida, Your the the jobs that your parents worked, uh, mm-hmm. your, your your brothers and one sister, and, mm-hmm. and uh, how it was growing up there. 
Uh, my dad delivered gas in the community and, and uh, diesel and kerosene to the farmers. That was his first job. And his second job, he was a night watchman at a potato grader. While many people think of Florida as the citrus capital, uh, in my hometown of Hastings, Florida, per capita, we grew more potatoes than any city in America. And so uh, there was potato season, and our hometown population 650 people. But during potato season, which is April through June, uh, it would balloon up to maybe 1,500 people, you know, with the migrant workers coming in. And uh, after that, we would pick cucumbers. And so it was cucumbers, and then we'd go into cabbage season, and then cabbage season around to potato season. So it was that kind of work in my hometown. My mother was a chef at the hospital in Palatka, about 15 miles away. And her second job, she would come in and fix us a little dinner, her and my sister. And she would then go to uh, a pharmacy where they had the little stands, the little hamburger milkshake stands. And she would do that until about 10 o'clock at night. And so I got to see these work ethic. And it was taught to us early on if you're not afraid to work, there's nothing you can't have. So that's what we all did. We all worked. I started working in the fields when I was nine years old picking potatoes. Somewhere along the line, though, you also inherited from them a good good sports genes. Uh, very uh, good sports genes. Your, your, your mom and dad? Uh, yes. Uh, your mother, especially, she wasn't she a good basketball player? She was the one that taught me how to play basketball. <laughs> yes, she was very good. And many said, especially in those early years, that she was the best female player ever in that town. <laughs> uh, she was 5'10", an awesome basketball player. And my dad played both basketball and football, but he was more known for his football prowess. And they would have probably been, neither one of them went to college, did they? Uh, glad you asked. My mother got her GED after I graduated from UK. Wow. My dad got his high school diploma, but neither ever spent a day on a college campus. Yeah. But your, your brothers and sisters and all sister did. Uh-huh. all did and, yes. and have been very successful in in many aspects of life, including right. uh, uh, the university uh, life. We can talk about them mm-hmm. a little bit later as we as we talk about uh, your life. Um, yeah, but, but Bill, again, I, I, I can't echo enough uh, what my parents did for us, what they taught us. Uh, There was no more competition on the field than there was in my house. My dad, the way they had set things up, uh, I was always competing against my brothers, uh, you know, both academically as well as athletically. And so there was a really, really high standard. It wasn't the standard that was set against other teammates or other people I played against. It was all my brothers mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. playing at, playing against those guys and competing against them academically as well. And part of that too, I think, is uh, certainly we need to underline the fact that you, your mom and dad both emphasize the educational. Oh, part absolutely, of it. Ab- absolutely. 
I mean that uh, no, there there and and there were no special considerations there. You know, a number of people have asked me, well, but you were good at a really young age. Well, <laughs> that meant nothing to them. You know, my two older brothers, both of those guys, had been uh, all state uh, as football players. Only thing they were all state as seniors. Well, I was being recognized as a freshman. So, so to to think that I was getting special consideration. No, they had already seen that act before. In the prologue to the book, uh, mm-hmm. you do talk about uh, a watershed moment, mm-hmm. and you carry the the watershed moment, although it happened later in your life, which I'm right. going to ask you to set up. Mm-hmm. You carry that sort of as a theme mm-hmm. uh, for uh, uh, your adult life too. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us about that? Uh, UK. 1977, and the year prior, we were nine and three and had won the SEC championship. And me and my big mouth, that summer I was being featured in SEC magazine, and I said we were gonna go undefeated. And uh, I truly felt that way. I thought we were that good and so, of course, when that uh, magazine came out, I got a call from Coach Kersey, and he said, have you lost your mind? He said, how can you say that when we just lost arguably the best lineman ever to play at Kentucky, who was Warren Bryant, and two other starting offensive linemen. So we lost three starting offensive linemen, our starting tight end, starting wide receiver, and one, uh, one of my running backs. So we lost six starters off offense. And he said, what are you thinking? I said, well, Coach, what I was thinking, if I could get our defense, because we'd only lost one guy off the defense, and that was Ray Carr, and he was a uh, cornerback. I said, if I can just get the, the defense to hold for me for two or three games until we get this offense playing together, uh, we'll be okay. He said, we damn well better be. He said, now that you put this out there. But I, I just knew and felt that we were that good. And so, you know, going into my senior year, or uh, the beginning of my senior year, uh, the first game we played against the University of North Carolina, uh, a team that we had pretty much embarrassed the year before in the Peach Bowl, uh, beating them 21 nothing, 21-6. I mean, it was, it was bad. Well, that game, we barely beat them. And so I started understanding a little bit more about what Coach Kersey was talking about, in particular with our offensive line, because it was a struggle. And then we go down to Baylor, and uh, they had this great player that I played against uh, three times also in the NFL. Uh, Never beat this guy. Mm. (laughs) And that guy's name is Mike Singletary, Mm. uh, an incredible player. Well, they beat us, and uh, uh, it ended up being 21 to six, and Mike Deaton put up uh, the only points that we scored on offense that day. 
And so when we got back into Lexington uh, at the airport, and one of the uh, reporters asked me about the game, and I said, you know, they really had some good players down there, and, and uh, offensively uh, we got to get better. Uh, we had terrible field position the whole day. I think my best field position was probably 25 or 30-yard line the entire day. And so the reporter then asked me, he said, well, what do you think about Mike Deaton? I said, I think Mike's going to be a great quarterback next year. And I was happy that he was able to put up some points for us so we wouldn't have a goose egg. And uh, they said, well, what do you think about him uh, starting next week. And so I said a few kind words and walked off. And I was like, okay, this is how it's going to play out. Mm -hmm. Well, the next week, but what had happened, Bill, of the five offensive linemen I started with against uh, North Carolina, they were different against Baylor. Mm. They were different against West Virginia. And so we were trying to get this whole um, musical chairs solidified. And so anyway, we go into this West Virginia game and things finally started to come together for us. And uh, so in the fourth quarter, we're up by two touchdowns, 17 points, somewhere thereabouts. I come back on the field, and uh, the fans started booing. And I was like, okay, <laughs> wait a minute, I'm looking up. I could have swore we were ahead. And uh, I just wasn't pleased with it. And so I made some really uh, strong comments to the fans that I support that day, and I still stand by those today. I told the fans to go to hell. Mm -hmm. I told them they weren't used to winning. And uh, from this point forward, it was about me and my teammates because I knew that the guys on my team, they were going to go with me, stand with me. Then, to this day, mm -hmm. they stand with me, and I stand with them. And so... That kind of really pulled our team together because I had called the fans out. Uh, of course, Coach Kersey wasn't very happy about my comments. And, you know, he was like, Derek, you know, I mean, that's part of being a quarterback. And, uh, you know, when things are going well, you didn't complain. I said, well, but I could have swore we were at home. If we were on the road, I, I could – you know, wouldn't understand it, but still, you know, at least I, I felt that those people that paid for the tickets, so it's their prerogative to do and cheer as they see fit. And so that kind of pulled our team together. The next week we go up and play against Penn State, who's number, number three in the country, and uh, we beat them. And... Uh, I had had a huge distaste for Penn State. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, I'd gotten recruited by those guys, and uh, all due respect to Joe Pa, he told me I was a fine athlete, but he didn't think I could play quarterback there. Uh -huh. And so 
those, those times that we played against them was always personal. Yeah. And uh, that particular game, as I had done the year before when we beat them in, in Lexington, I ran up and grabbed Coach's uh, hand and uh, said, not bad for a guy that can't play quarterback. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the um, so that watershed moment, you you uh, made a statement and yes. you, you lived that the rest of your life in, mm-hmm. in many ways. Mm-hmm. Was it difficult for you to choose UK? You were recruited by so many other colleges. Uh, you'd had a stellar high school career mm-hmm. um, at Florida and then at Camden, New Jersey, and mm-hmm. uh, you could have gone anywhere, I think. I mean, yeah. you were recruited. But, mm-hmm. And uh, what, what was really, um, was, there a, was there a watershed moment there well, at, here in Lexington that, that you uh, said, I'm going to come to Kentucky? There were, there were, there were a couple of things. Uh, one, uh, my high school teacher, Spanish teacher, she was dating a guy named Leroy Keys. I don't know if you remember that name. Great defensive back for the Philadelphia Eagles. And so when Leroy would come around, we would talk uh, about where the best players go. And uh, he said, if I were you guys, just talking Art and myself, if I were you guys, uh, if not the Big Ten, uh, the SEC. He said, because that's where the real players are. And uh, we had originally signed to go to the University of Michigan. And Bo Schembechler, in all his wisdom, uh, decided he wasn't going to allow me to play football and basketball. Mm-hmm. And I thought I would get to be a pro, but I didn't know which sport, you know. And so I wanted my abilities to play itself out. Hmm. You were that good a basketball player. I thought I was. Yeah. I mean, the, the opinions may vary, but yeah. but I, I I thought I was, and, and I, I handled my own, you know, both in Florida and in New Jersey, and I also had several basketball scholarship offers as well. And uh, when we decided not to go there, part of the agreement with Bo Schembechler was because we were getting recruited by Michigan State, by Ohio State by Minnesota, uh, Michigan, so like six or seven of schools in, in the Big Ten. He said, I will let you guys out because we assigned the National Letter of Intent. And then in the spring, you will sign the actual letter. Hmm. And he said, I will let you guys out if you agree not to go to another Big Ten school. And so we said, deal. Mm-hmm. And uh, Coach Kersey and Coach Henson, and Coach Henson's my high school coach, they had met some years ago uh, when Coach Kersey was the head coach at Tampa. And uh, Tampa played against Florida A&M, which was the first interracial football game in the state of Florida. Hmm. And... uh, my high school coach had respected Coach Kersey for doing that. Uh, he also had Freddie Solomon, who was his quarterback. So he knew he wasn't going to have an issue about me being an African-American and being able to play the position uh, because I wanted assurances that wherever I went, I was going to play quarterback and quarterback only. 
And so Coach Kersey agreed to that. And uh, hence, that's how we got here. And as you would have it, I played basketball my first two years. And and I was the fourth guy coming off the bench my sophomore year. And uh, we got this new offensive coordinator in, and he said, you want to be the captain of the football team or you want to be the fourth or fifth guy coming off the basketball bench? Let's see. Let me think about this for a second. <laughs> who, who was on that basketball team? Uh, my classmates were James Lee, yeah. Rick Roby, yeah. Mike Phillips, and Goose. Yeah, I remember that class. Yeah, Goose. Yeah. Really? Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. They did pretty well, didn't they? They did for themselves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you don't look back and think that you made the wrong decision. Oh, I mean, by you, no you, stretch. Yeah. By no stretch. Yeah. It, it was the right thing for me in the right time because had Coach Moss not come, more than likely I was going to transfer out uh, because they had benched me, not they. Uh, the coaches had benched me after the uh, Penn State game my sophomore year. And and uh, so I called my dad and told him that, uh, you know, what had happened. And I, I never made any decisions without my dad. I mean, he was my North Star always. Mm. And... Uh, because he wasn't going to be sympathetic to me or, you know, uh, make things easy. And so um, after, uh, I guess that was after the Penn State game, we were one, two, and one when they benched me. And so I called dad and I said, I'm, they benched me and they want me to play tight end. I said, I'm, I'm not doing it. And he says, all right, well, uh, so the coaches then found out that I was going to transfer, and then they got on the phone, and and uh, uh, Coach Kersey and my dad had a long conversation, and and uh, at the, what uh, ended up, my dad just told him, well, the way Derek thinks is this, you got to demonstrate to him that he can't do it. Uh, if he can't do it, he'll accept it. If he thinks he can do it, he won't accept it. Mm-hmm. And so Coach Kersey agreed. And so for the next six weeks, I went back and uh, looked at my film. Uh, my high school coach had taught me to break down films, so I knew how to break down films from the time I was probably 12, 13 years mm. old. And uh, I went back and looked at those films, and I was like, geez. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, You yeah. saw some mistakes. Oh, I saw oh, lots of mistakes. Yeah. You know, I'd make a big play and then I'd uh, screw up. Mm -hmm. I'd make a big play and I'd throw an interception. I'd make a big play, then I'd mm -hmm. misread. So mm -hmm. I saw what, mm -hmm. what they were saying. And so what I did was just started working my butt off, working mm -hmm. my butt off, reading, uh, watching film more, and, and just understanding what it was like mm -hmm. to play at that level. Mm -hmm. uh, was I a good football player? I thought, yeah. But everybody that came to Kentucky were very good players. Mm -hmm. uh, another watershed moment for me my freshman year, uh, I go into the, uh, into the chow hall, and I got my jacket similar to this, you know, and it has all city, all state, all American, all prep, all this, mm -hmm. all that. Well, Bill, everybody else had one, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so you're talking about the best of the best of yeah. the best in the country. 
And it's like that all over the place. Oh, yeah. I guess at most most of the major right. colleges. Right. Yeah. And so... Well, Derek, there's so much, um, and I, I want to try to get to as much of this as I can, and I, I'm just going to kind of skip around. I, again, okay. I'm talking to Derek Ramsey, and uh, his uh, new book is, um, They Call Me Mr. Secretary, Through the Lens of a Winner, uh, written with uh, uh, John Wong, Dr. John Wong. Um, and it, it's really a, a great read about a, a really a great man uh, who's been in Kentucky for a long time, and um let's let's talk about uh let's let's skip over uh i know this is tough for a lot of sports fans uh <laughs> let, let's you you had a a successful nfl career mm-hmm. uh, you followed that with a uh a successful business career for a while and then that uh, changed a bit and, and you mm-hmm. decided to, that that uh, maybe you'd come back to kentucky and you would have some opportunity here because mm-hmm. of the contacts that you had and mm-hmm. that you'd made. Um, and one thing led to another. Um, there were, how many, let's see, you were, how many athletic directorships and, and university affiliations did you have at that time? I mean, you, you even were at UK for a while. Right. I was at UK for four years where I headed up uh, community relations and then, uh, then, um, fundraising for what we call Lexington campus. So I work with all the colleges and their deans and their and their uh, fundraising person. So I was there for those four years. Uh, then I became athletic director at Kentucky State and was there for four years. And then I had the incredible opportunity to, to uh, be deputy secretary under Jim Host. Uh, which was very, very educational because going back to our conversation earlier with uh, with uh, Governor Chandler, uh, he and I talked about different political things, my aspiration, his aspirations. When and how did you meet him? Uh, Governor Chandler was always around football. He would come to football practice, mm. and uh, he was always interesting to me because he was a man about this height. Yeah. <laughs> But his voice was bigger than mine. Yeah. And when he came around, everybody knew it. <laughs> and so he was at practice one day, and uh, he pulled me to the side and told me he had heard about me and so on and so forth. Of course, that made me feel good when a governor is saying this about yeah. you. And, and not, not uh, only a governor, Governor Chandler. Right. I mean, that that's something. Right. And so I asked him if, if I could uh, talk to him sometime. And he wrote a number down and said, anytime you call me. Yeah. And I'm sure a lot of people say that and don't call. I think I called him about two days later. And uh, that started our relationship. And you saw him periodically? Uh, yeah, we would have lunch. Yeah. We'd go to old uh, Mama Royal's Cafe there over off of uh, Loudon Avenue. And <laughs> and uh, that was his favorite place. Oh, and, really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, just incredible conversations. Um. I know Jim Host was a um, a terrific mentor for you, as he has been for so, so many, many, many mm-hmm. people in, right. in Kentucky, right, and outside Kentucky. Yeah. Now, Jim, uh, I, I, when I first moved back here, I was an analyst for Jim for football. I did uh, radio. How'd you enjoy that? I uh, loved it. Absolutely loved it. It was a lot harder than I ever imagined it yeah. was going to be, you know, because there was so much studying and 
and I wanted to be good, and I didn't want to uh, let Jim down, you know, for giving me this opportunity. Nobody wants to let Jim down. No, and uh, as well as uh, Coach Newton. I mean, Coach Newton and I developed a great friendship. And C.M. Newton, who was yes. the athletic director That's for many right. years at That's UK. That's right. And uh, so that taught me a lot. And when I was doing that, that was all, Bill, in preparation for becoming an athletic director. You know, because, again, I got to sit in on, on the different conversations uh, finance, financially about, you know, TV and radio. Uh, and then I would always ask questions to the guys that I was working with, Rob Bromley, who was incredible to work with, and Dick, uh, Dick Gabriel, and Dick and I have been friends since uh, since we were in college. Mm-hmm. So it was just a lot of commonalities in there, mm-hmm. so it made me more comfortable. Uh, but no, it was a whole lot harder than, than I thought. I, I would spend 25 hours a week easily preparing for, for a game. Mm-hmm. Talking to Derek Ramsey uh, and his new book, and we're going to pause here and uh, come back with with more uh, with Derek, including talking a little uh, politics and and then uh, ending up and asking him what he's doing now and what he wants to do next, because his life is certainly not over. So we'll be right back with Derek after we hear from our wonderful friends down at Spalding University and their uh, Cedar Jeter Naslin, uh, Karen Mann, uh, MFA program. We'll be right back. At Spalding University's Low Residency MFA program, creative writing students come to campus for an exciting week of learning each semester, followed by independent study from home that fits in with work and family life. Write prolifically, explore across genres, gain editorial experience on a literary journal, and become part of a lifelong writing community. Writers thrive at Spalding's Naslin Mann Graduate School of Writing. Learn more at spalding.edu forward slash MFA or email schoolofwriting at spalding.edu. Talking with Derek Ramsey, uh, who uh, everyone uh, knows the name, and if you don't know it from uh, modern day uh, politics with a couple of uh, Republican administrations, you certainly know him from the University of Kentucky and the the ball that he played there, basketball and football, and his NFL career, and uh, just such a wonderful life. And he's put it all together in a, uh, a, a terrific read that just came out. Um, Derek, a lot of people, I, I don't know if they were surprised or not. You, you've got such a great personality. You always did. You uh, have such a terrific smile. Uh, everybody knows that. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, you've always had that. Uh, I was looking at some of the pictures of you when you were just a, a kid and you, oh. you, you had that great smile, uh, that's about 50% of, um, of winning someone over, isn't it, uh, when, you, when you can smile like that. But it might have surprised some people that, um, that you got into, and, and you have to say whether you were a secretary of the cabinet or just working for somebody, I mean, that's, that's in politics. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is politics. Mm-hmm. So right. uh, what, what was it about... Um, being um, in in the cabinet uh, in mm-hmm. two administrations that uh, mm-hmm. you enjoyed? Uh, the big thing, Bill, and this is going back to Governor Chandler, uh, the people of Kentucky have supported Derek Ramsey for 50 years now. 
I came to UK in 1974. And what I wanted to do by being in government and in the positions that I held was give something back uh, to so many that, that have given me. Uh, again, going back in the mid-70s, it, it, uh, it was not popular to have an African-American quarterback in particular. Lyman, uh, they didn't, didn't you know, really frown on that too much. But to be the face of a university, the face of a state, uh, that was different. And so these people, while I had my watershed moment, despite those few people, uh, there was a whole lot of people over the years that have supported me and to this day thanked me for what I was able to accomplish. And I think also, now that years have passed, I think people realize and recognize how difficult it is to win in this conference. Uh, one of the things that we were able to do, and that record's gonna stand for a while, uh, that is to be undefeated in the SEC. Hmm. Uh, it, it's almost easier going undefeated in the AFC South yeah. of the NFL than it is in the SEC. I mean, it's that tough. Mm -hmm. You know, and of course, finishing number six in the country, you know, we've had some teams that have flirted with six during the regular season. But at the end of the season to be number six, that, that too will stand for a mm -hmm. while. So just to be able to give those folk that have waited so long for a winning team and a dominant team and a team that when they went to the stadium, they knew they was going to win, not if they were going to win, but by how much. And so just I just want to thank them for, for supporting me and my teammates. In the uh, epilogue of, the, of your memoir, uh, you write, every time I took the field, I was playing for every African-American in the state of Kentucky. I was trying, I was playing for their hopes and their dreams. I couldn't afford to fail. Mm -hmm. That's right. Did you carry that throughout your early career? Did you learn that as in, a, um, uh, in, in your later life? Did, did, well, did, did that realization come to you from, from Governor Chandler? Uh, that realization came to me from Governor Chandler. Because when I was in high school, uh, they integrated the schools my freshman year. But, Bill, we had 40 guys on the team, maybe what, five white guys. And then when I went to Camden High School, although it was integrated, it may not have been for all intents and purposes. We had 4,500 students, uh, about 3,500. 3,700 African Americans, 700 Puerto Ricans, and three white kids. So I, I wouldn't necessarily call that inter integrated. Hmm. And so when I got here uh, and Governor Chandler presented that to me, which had never been presented to me by anyone before, and he was one, of course, that I respected tremendously. Uh, I knew that he had my best interest at heart. 
And for him to say that to me, uh, and years later when I was deputy secretary and I would travel around to the different communities and I would meet some of these elderly African-American people, and he was so right. Mm. I'd go to introduce myself and they say, oh, I know who you are. Mm. And they said, I pull for you. I didn't pull for the university, I pull for you. So what he was saying was more than right. Derek, you um, also write about, um, uh, I'm gonna call it social justice, uh, for yeah. lack of a better term, but mm-hmm. you you have sort of taken, I, th- I think this developed while you were in uh, the Fletcher and Bevitt administrations, uh, taking it upon yourself to to uh, look after some of the incarcerated uh, yes. in our state and, mm-hmm. and um, the way they're treated and the way they're not prepared to leave uh, the, our, our penal institutions. Mm-hmm. Um, to talk a little bit about that and, and, yeah. and how much you care about that part of uh, that, the, the uh, life that, that you've lived. Uh, Bill, that, uh, uh, my initial involvement was when I was with the Raiders. Uh, the Raiders were a large organization that did a lot of community service. This is the Oakland, Oakland Raiders, Raiders. Uh, professional correct. football team after right. you uh, graduated from UK and, right. and uh, were drafted and, and played mm-hmm. pro ball. Yeah, and so I would go to these prisons, uh, myself and other teammates, just to talk to these inmates. And as I got there, the more I noticed uh, how many of these folks look like me, an alarming <laughs> number of disproportion. And so that kind of got my thought process going back then. Uh, then when I became labor secretary, uh, it went to high gear. Uh, I worked with uh, John Tilly, who was our um, justice cabinet secretary. And this workforce issue that we're up against today. I just firmly believe that if we were going to resolve that, some of our brothers and sisters, and I believe that once a person has served their time, they have fulfilled their debt to to humanity, to me. This is just my personal opinion. Mm -hmm. And so I believe that once they have served that, then they too should be contributors to our world, and I firmly believe that. And so John and I started a program that was called Justice to Journeymen. And what this program was, was while inmates were incarcerated because so frequently they just sit there, more or less. And so what I wanted to do was to train up these guys and ladies so that they could do the educational piece while Mm -hmm. they were uh, incarcerated, and then when they came out, they would have a job immediately mm-hmm. uh, because they start with OJT to become journeymen and journeywomen. And I still firmly believe that for us to fulfill the jobs that we have, it's going to take people that have been incarcerated. It's going to take women. It's going to take minorities. Mm-hmm. It's going to take people that have had disabilities. All of these people, I believe, is what it's going to take for Kentucky to win. Yeah. Derek Ramsey, thanks. Oh, thank you. 
Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 51 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.